Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 71. To be a screenwriter is to deal with an ongoing tug of war between breathtaking megalomania and an insecurity so deep that it takes years of therapy just for you to be able to say, I'm a writer, out loud. Blake Schneider, Save the Cat. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, my indie film hustlers, to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. So today's show is sponsored by The Million Dollar Screenplay by Paul Castro, the writer of August Rush. It is an amazing course. If you want to be a writer, a screenwriter, this course is great. It, tell, it gives you the nuts and bolts right off the bat, and it's very quick, probably about an hour and a half to two hours, and gives you straight to the point stuff that get you started uh, or f or finesse your screenplay. You can go to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash million dollar. That's IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash million dollar. And he has a brand new course, which whether you're a screenwriter, a filmmaker, whatever you are in the business, this course is amazing. It's called The Million Dollar Business of Screenwriting. But a lot of the stuff that he talks about in this course can translate into all aspects of filmmaking from how to read a room, how to pitch your how to pitch a story in a in a room to an agent, to a manager, to an investor, uh, how to read a room, uh, how to deal with agents, managers, just how the business works in a whole. And it is wonderful, man. Really, really great stuff. So go to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash screenwriting biz, B-I-Z. That's IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash screenwriting biz and download that. Really worth it, guys. So to go along with our screenwriting theme today, guys, our guest is Jose Salerio from Save the Cat, Blake Schneider's amazing book. Uh, Blake passed a few years ago, but Jose is keeping the torch going on his amazing work, on Blake's amazing work with Save the Cat. If you're a screenwriter today or you're an as aspiring screenwriter today and have not read the book Save the Cat, you have to go out, stop listening, Go to, the, go to the show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 071 and click on the link to buy the book. It is a must read for all screenwriters. It's remarkable what Blake was able to do, kind of revolutionized screenwriting. And I wanted to reach out to the Save the Cat community and wanted to share what Blake had done with Save the Cat with our community, our tribe. So Jose was nice enough to talk to us about 
Blake about Save the Cat and um, all the revolutionary ideas that he came up with all those years ago when he wrote Save the Cat. So without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Jose Salario. Jose, man, thank you so much for joining us on the Indie Film Hustle podcast. I really appreciate you taking out the time, man. Hey, thank you very much for having us, Alex. It's, I mean, we're, we're happy from, you know, from Save the Cat to be part of this and, and you know, just to help out screenwriters as much as possible. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of Blake uh, Schneider's work and Save the Cat. I, I read all three books uh, and they're, they're amazing and they've kind of changed the business uh, a lot ever since they were released. So can you tell me a little bit about uh, Blake and Save the Cat for well, people yeah, who don't know it? Yeah, you know, definitely, you know, as, as you said, you know, Save the Cat really sort of became big uh, in the industry. And that's not, you know, that's not just simply us tooting our own horn, mm-hmm. but uh, it's really from our own experience, even you know, when, when Blake was still around, mm-hmm. uh, we saw how his, his method, uh, his books really became popular. And Blake really, you know, he's a screenwriter, just, just like most of us, mm-hmm. right? Um, he started screenwriting way back in the 80s. He was even, he started working for his dad, uh, in his in his dad's animation um, series, mm-hmm. doing the voices for the kid in the you know in the show and all mm-hmm. that, and he got into screenwriting way back in the eighties, and he he sold you know several scripts throughout his career, um, something like I think twelve or thirteen altogether, mm-hmm. and and then he had a couple of them made, um, which is Blank Check um, and Stop or Your Mom or My Mom Will Shoot, which are kind mm-hmm. of the more famous ones he did. Uh, that came out, but I think from Blake, really, uh, what he did with Save the Cat and how it kind of how it evolved for him was that you know just like everybody else in the industry, especially for writers, you know there are those ups and down moments, and as a writer, you're always you know struggling to sort of break in, mm-hmm. right? even though, and as he said this, even though you're in already. You kind of have to keep proving yourself over and over. Oh, it's what have you done? It's like Janet Jackson says, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right? And I think that kind of came from him. It's like, like knowing that, that struggle that he went through, he wanted to make sure that other writers following him sort of had it a little bit easier, if I can put it that way. Mm-hmm. And, and he found, you know, he had his own method of, of developing structure. Um, and which is it's funny because he had this little story uh, and I can't actually remember if it's, it was in the book, wherein you know his introduction to structure was that he, you know, this was like early nineties or late eighties. He was telling me he went, he went into one of these development meetings. He submitted a script. You know, the producer was there, and then they started talking about the script. And the producer goes to him, "So, what's your, you know, break uh, act to break?" And he was just, "Oh, um, you know," he says, kind of just sort of nodding his head. And kind of just talking about the story more, right? <laughs> but then after the meeting ended, you know, when all the other producers moved out and all that, the one producer who's really on him with him mm-hmm. throughout the project pulled him aside and said, "You don't know what the act to break is, right?" <laughs> and kind of said, "Yeah, I have no idea what it was." So, right, right, it sort of became his introduction into creating structure mm-hmm. and him realizing that you know, in order to tell a good story, regardless of the story, we need structure. Mm-hmm. And again, so he developed his own system, which eventually began to save the cat method. And mm-hmm. again, because it's from his own experience of, of wanting to help other writers later down the road, you know, he, he, he just simply wanted to share it because it started working for him. And, in, and like you said, you know, once he, he published, he wrote Save the Cat, the first book, and it was published. And people really gravitated toward it, and it just exploded. Now, what, do you know what, where Save the Cat came from, the name? Well, the name "Save the Cat" itself is a term that he uses, you know, and it, it's it's 
it, it's a simple way for your audience to like your your main hero immediately. No. Perfect. Right? Yeah. So it's it's the save the cat. It's literally comes from the term you know saving a cat. You know and, and what what it is. It's 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 you just put you give your 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 hero an, an action to do early on in the in the in the movie in the script. You know that makes us say, oh, that's a nice guy. You know yeah. I like this person. You know which will make me want to follow this person's journey for the rest of the movie. Which would be the the opposite of that would be kick the dog, which would be my book. Kick, yeah. the, kick the dog. <laughs> yeah. How to be exactly. an evil person. And it, it's a great way to introduce a villain. Right. You, can, you know, Anybody who kicks a dog is like, that guy's yeah. bad. So it's yeah. a perfect example. I, yeah. So that's where it comes from. Okay, great. Um, so how did you get involved with Save the Cat? You know, it, it's funny. Uh, I got involved with Save the Cat exactly the same way like everybody discovers Save the Cat, which is I read the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know Blake you know, before the book came out. But when I read the book, you know, and I tell this to all you know people, all writers I work with. I'm a very lazy reader. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry to say, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. the book, you know, even the it was as thick as Save the Cat. I mean, it's not really that thick. No, it's not. It's, it's not. It's not a hard read. Yeah, it, it it would usually a book that thick would even take me something like a year to read. <laughs> You're uh, really uh, lazy. You're a really lazy writer. Reader. reader. Uh, <laughs> Save the Cat. I kid you not. I didn't. Just, I sat down, open page one, mm-hmm. and couldn't put it down. It was like you said. It was a very easy read. But more than being an easy read. Mm-hmm. I think it just, it, it's just, you know, you, you get it right away. You get what Bake is talking about. And it, what, the thing, the nice thing about it, it really was sort of, for me, this is my reaction, it was very encouraging. It was really ex- telling me that, you know, this is something that I can do. And a lot of the things that I found myself like, oh, no, as a screenwriter, like, I'm getting stuck here. You know, he was kind of explaining it and telling me, no, this is all you have to do. And that's how I got into Save the Cat. I read the book. You know, he had this email address there, which everybody knows of read the book. I wrote him. Kind of just asking about other stuff and all that, and then one day he kind of well immediately not one day but immediately he kind of asked me saying, "Hey, I need help with a um, with a script that I need to read, and if you can give me notes, you know maybe we can oh. build something together." And and luckily, you know, uh, <laughs> you were at the right place at the right time, as they exactly, said. Exactly, you know, uh, the stars aligned for me, kind of, you know. So that that's how I got uh, into Save the Cat, and that was like way back in two thousand six, two thousand seven. God, so I can't believe like, that's way back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like ten years now. Wow. So, uh, so can you explain to everybody what a beat sheet is? Because I, I remember the first time I was in an executive meeting and someone goes, "So, where's your beat sheet?" And I'm like, "So, you see, the character does this." <laughs> it's very similar to what Blake yeah. did. I'm like, I just try to keep going with it, but then afterwards, I found out what a beat sheet was. But so, can you explain to everybody what a beat sheet is? Well, a beat sheet, especially you know, we'd save the kind and a lot of. You know, a lot of other, I guess, teachers, producers, so ever, everybody has their own kind of definition for mm-hmm. the beat sheet is. But, you know, so I'm kind of going to go with the save the cat definition. Mm-hmm. It's really, as, as Blake put, you know, the, the beat sheet really has, and, and for us, we have what we call the 15 beats, the 15 key beats. Mm-hmm. And this, what, the, what it does is the 15 beats of the beat sheet, the save the cat, the Blake Snyder beat sheet, um, it just really pinpoints the 15 key beats that your hero must go through in order to tell a good story. Mm-hmm. These are moments that must be happening to your hero, right? And, and your hero must be doing as well in order for us to be able to follow that structure, that story, in, in a way that's very familiar mm-hmm. for, 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 for the audience. And again, when I say familiar, I'm not saying you know, you're just merely copying from other Movies, other scripts, or other books that you've you've read before, mm-hmm. but you know, s- story structure is something that's been ingrained in all of us 
ever since you know from nursery rhymes mm-hmm. telling jokes there is always a structure and and that beats you know those 15 beats is something that Blake sort of um not really developed but he, and he even says this is an own uh discovered but even not discovered but he just kind of made it clearer for everybody yeah gotcha gotcha uh, and, and he said and he having studied all these films that he felt like you know what really successful films he really like uh he said, you know, I dis- he discovered that there were these 15 beats that were always present. Mm-hmm. And that's what, you know, I guess a beat sheet is. You know, you have this this 15 beats that go from, in, in Save the Cat uh, terminology, go from opening image all the way down to, fifth, to the final image. Mm-hmm. Um, that, like I said earlier, that we, that your hero must go through. So in, in short, I guess it's really like an outline, mm-hmm. or but really it's, it's, it's a good way to really help you as a writer figure out, What's happening, and more importantly, when it should be happening to your hero? Right. It's kind of well. What, what I've taken from structure is because I, when I write, I, I my structure is pretty sound because I, I like structure. I like having that those tent poles to be able yeah. to like write to. So it's like okay, from here to this point to this point, this has to happen. So how I get to point A to point B is up to me as the writer. But I have a place to go. Without that structure, you're just kind of like meandering all yeah. over the place. Exactly. I think it's what you said. You know, the, the nice term that you used was tenpole, mm-hmm. which is exactly uh, you know what what Blake also mentions. That uh, I think a lot of times, and I say this all the time, it's like when I went to film school way back when, you know, uh, the writing screenwriting classes one to one, the thing that they really always got was okay. There's Act One, Act Two, Act Three. Yeah, right. Kind of like. Uh oh, that's what? very vague. Yeah, <laughs> how do you fill it in? And that's what you know. The the save the cat beat sheet of Blake does is that at least in Act One you know what should be happening in Act One because right away you know which beats must be happening within the pack and where again it's happening. Then same thing when you go to Act Two and Act Three. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. There's a series on YouTube that has a they take the save the cat method and they beat it out with movies. I don't know if you, it's wonderful to watch because you're like Back to the Future, E.T., you know, Terminator, Titanic, and you just start watching them and they literally are beating it out. So they're like, here's this Pete. This is when this happens in the movie. This is when this happens in the movie. And you just sit there and you use examples of it. Can you give us a few examples of films that you Save the Cat very, very well? Oh, oh, geez, I mean, hours, the hours of them, I know, but just yeah. a, a couple of the big ones. <laughs> yeah. Um, even that big one, like, you know, some of the Oscar winners, like mm-hmm. the King's Speech. Mm-hmm. Argo, I mean, very clear and strong beats. Uh, an Oscar-nominated one, which I really liked from two years ago, was Whiplash. Yeah, and, great, and great film. Again, all the beats were there. But the nice thing about you know these movies where you can see is that you know you can go there, uh, and I'm probably biased already by this time at this point, right? Mm-hmm. I've been done this for ten years. That right. you know I'm watching there, and but still. Right, I try to avoid saying, "Oh, there's a catalyst. Oh, there's the midpoint." Oh, it's rough, you know. It's it's. It, look, I'll tell you, I've been in 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 visual effects and post production for a long time, and uh, you know, it's tough for me to go to a movie sometimes. It's tough for me to kind of just let go. Yeah. Uh, and I just recently let go when I saw Star Wars. So <laughs> I I completely was not looking at anything technical. I was just yeah. on the ride, and it's for a film to do that to you know to people like us that are really into it. It's it, I mean, that's a really good sign of the filmmaker who's been able to cut through all of our all of our armor, if you will, yeah. of, of of biases. Like, oh, that green screen didn't really look that great. Oh, oh, that story point. Oh, that's the catalyst. Oh, that's yeah. the turning point. Um, and I catch myself doing that all the time now with with lesser movies. 
But, uh, but like you said, you know, the, the, the well-made ones really are those where you, you know it's there, but you, you don't see it. Mm-mm. Exactly. I, or, or you look back, you go back to it later and watch it on a second time and then you'll analyze it maybe in the second or third screening of it. But the first time you just enjoy it and you know exactly. it's coming, but you just kind of, you're in the story as you should be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, those are the, and, you know, they, they did their job well. You know, uh, and like you said, you know, when we go back, to this, then we start realizing, oh, that's why you know we like this part because here it is. It was building up to the midpoint. It was going out to the all is lost and and all that. Now, did you have you seen new Star Wars? I have. Um, and I have how, how is it? How is it? How is it hang in the in the saving the cat paradigm? I think it hangs very well in terms of the the, the beat sheet itself of having the beats there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the way they introduce the characters, how they set up. You know the setup no, no, no spoilers one. no spoilers yeah no spoilers. <laughs> I try to be very careful I, but you know even you know the big moment the big all is lost moment i think mm-hmm. you know even i'm not going to say it here out loud i think i know you but yeah, of course sure you know what i'm talking of course about, of course of course right uh, mm-hmm. so you know even though we know specifics we know that that beat was there of and course again clear third act right you know what the third act is and, it, and the beats are still there so yeah, if, I think uh, it, it, I would love to say that you know yeah of course J.J. Abrams and you know wrote uh, Red saved the cat before yeah right uh, right, right. <laughs> of course before of course. writing it uh, but you know I think great filmmakers great writers they just know you know uh, yeah well the, the thing is if you look at all the big movies the most successful movies whether they be blockbusters or Oscar winners generally they all follow the beat they all follow the 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 structure. Whether, whether, and I think what Blake did so well with Save the Cat is that screenwriting is a complex scenario. It's not an easy way to write. It's much easier to write uh, in many ways a, mo- a novel because you can meander and you can kind of just delve yeah. into the deepness of the, how the, the tree looks today. And you can't do that in the screenplay. It has to be very condensed, has to be very concise. Every word is, it has to have a meaning and move exactly. the story forward. And I think what Blake did so brilliantly is that he brought it down to the masses where a lot of that kind of terminology was more uh, upper tier, if you will, like at the, you know, at a, at a film school or at the higher end, like the USCLA, uh, you know, screenwriting program or these kind of really epic, big, huge um, institutions that were kind of like guarding the information. And Blake kind of took that information and said, now you all may have it. (laughs) And now here, here, now go and write, be, be well. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I, and I completely agree with you on that. I mean, there's definitely, you know, if, if you kind of go the jo- the Joseph Campbell route. Of course. You know, which is very, and again, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a great system as well. But like you said, you know, when with, with Blake, with Save the Cat, he kind of brought it down to the masses. Those who weren't kind of more into mythological stuff, but just wanted to sort of just go straight into it. Well, I mean, the right, yeah, what, what the writer's journey was or what the, uh, the hero's journey is, it works well, obviously, with Save the Cat. It's, it's, it's there, but it's, it's different. It's a little bit not as simple. Like, Save the Cat is yeah. as simple as you can get. Like, if you're a screenwriter starting out, Read Save the Cat, then yeah. go off and read everything else. But Save the Cat is a great base to start from because, uh, and that's again one of the reasons I wanted you guys on the show because the book was so influential. And then you can go off and read a million thousand books on screen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. a, a nice thing about it also, it's that, you know, it, it, although Blake really started, you know, wrote Save the Cat for writers, really, more than anybody, for writers mm-hmm. to help them move forward with their own writing and they feel like they're stuck. Mm-hmm. They can kind of go. But it, it's also a great way really to analyze you know movies oh god yes and, and to yeah. figure out you know why they're working 
That's why he wrote that second book, right? The yeah, uh, the exactly. Save the Cat Goes to the Movies, right? Exactly. Which was great. It was a wonderful example to kind of go and he just starts breaking down the movies. And you're just like, my God. I remember the first time I, I, I discovered, the first book I ever read was uh, Sid Fields. That yeah. was when I was in, now I'm going way back. This is like the 90s. So, uh, <laughs> and when I discovered that there was a, a, a structure, because he was the first one I ever heard any kind of structure. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute, at 15 minutes, this happens? And I can't start, and then I just started going back to all my movies. I'm like, oh my God, this, and I thought I had cracked the code. It's like, it was like, it's, it was so revolutionary to me for someone who doesn't understand or doesn't know about it. It's so great. But again, what Save the Cat does so well is it simplifies it so beautifully. And it's, I don't want to say it's like right by numbers because there's a lot of creativity involved, but it gives you those tent poles that you can just make. It's a lot easier. You don't have to think about structure. Yeah. You yeah, could yeah. Ju- you could just decorate the house. You don't have to worry about the foundation. Exactly. I think that's the best way to put it because there is always, and I always talk about it because there is, you know, there are always those uh, you know, the, the, the detractors who kind of say it's a paint by numbers thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it, when people say that, they're they're not getting the whole picture because right. we're just talking about structure. You know, right. it's a, it's you a house. Your your character, mm-hmm. their traits, their needs. dialogue, everything. It, yeah, yeah. Exactly, it's 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 on the writer, mm-hmm. right? And that's for you to make your characters unique. And once you add that, then it becomes a totally different story. But you have the structure there already. Yeah, absolutely. It's like I said before. It's like literally, you could you could have a house with a complete foundation and structure done. Now, how that's decorated, it could be decorated a million different ways. Exactly. Uh, it's all depending on how the writer wants to, to to go forward. So, can a, a lot of screenwriters to always hear about coverage? Like, oh, we're going to get coverage, and I got bad coverage, or I got good coverage, and your your script needs coverage from a studio or production company. Can you explain a little bit about coverage to those who don't know in the audience? Well, I think it's like you said, you know, coverage really is more of like, you know, you have the reader. Obviously, you have the the higher ups who can't read all the scripts that go to their studios, mm-hmm. so they need the Cliff Notes version, <laughs> right? right of scripts that come in, and I think that's that for me. That's kind of what coverage is. You have the readers who who read it and they put their notes down on 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 the script that they read, kind of going through structure, characters, dialogue, you know, giving it its sort of uh, and you know, different studios will have different styles uh, or different methods, but it's kind of they have kind of a point system. Mm-hmm. And they point, they grade, they grade it accordingly, um, and that's you know I think that's the simple way of just um, describing what coverage is. So that now that piece of paper, and hopefully for most it's a one pager, right. right? That that goes now to the next junior executive. Uh, if, if it passes, if it passes, because yeah, they might, yeah, they, passes, they might exactly right. Yeah. If it passes and goes to them, they read the script and they they do their <laughs> own version. Of the next higher up coverage, it goes to the next higher up guy. Um, so that's you know I think that's a simple like I said a simple version of explaining um, what coverage is. It's really a cover letter, mm-hmm. you know, for 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 the script, kind of just telling us what the script is or telling the the executive what what the script is all about and what what and what and how it meets certain criteria for them. Now the thing is that as a as a screenwriter, uh, and I've gone through the coverage process and and the studio system, it, it's very frustrating because sometimes. You might not get the reader that you that's really gets it, and yeah. a lot of people have passed on Oscar winners, you know, in coverage, yeah. uh, and it happens, and that's very frustrating a lot of times because you're like, oh my god, I like, I forgot. There's some legendary ones. I just don't remember any of them off the top of my head, but that that got passes at certain studios. Well, Star Wars was passed yeah. everywhere. I mean, just the original Star Wars was like, what? Yeah, you yeah, know, that's, that's very true. I mean, uh, a lot of 
bigger producers when they're like, ah, I don't think, you know, they don't, they didn't get it. They don't, they don't get it. So, and the script was like, oh, what's this, what's this, this giant monkey yeah. who's walking around with this guy and he's his sister. What? No, forget <laughs> there's incest involved. This is horrible. So, you know, um, yeah. so it happens. Too, like you said, you know, uh, it, there is, it, it's, I'm sort of involved in it that, that your script gets to the right person at the right time. Yeah. Yeah, right. And, uh, so that you know, they they that whoever the reader is, that mm-hmm. they're reading it in the right frame of mind in order to get it and be and and hopefully be objective enough while while reading it. I think also one thing that I've learned in my my journeys and from talking to so many different screenwriters is and cover and producers and executives is that at a certain point. You have to, even if they might pass on it, you have to write something so good that even they go, you know, I don't get it, but man, this is really well written. And there's a lot of that. Like, this is not going to be made into a movie, but you're a good writer. And I think that's what writers should do as best they can is try to make the best thing. As Steve Martin says, be so good that they can't ignore you. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with that. And, 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 you know, this is what I always tell writers. Uh, especially those who say, okay, what's the secret to sort of breaking in? Mm-hmm. Right? And, and I think there really isn't a secret. The secret is you come up with a really great script. Uh, <laughs> right. A well-written script. So oddly, much, oddly enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, 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 because, and, and, it's, and I truly believe this because I've heard it from a lot of executives, from producers themselves. And they say, you know, the, the industry really is, you know, they're wanting for the, great, the next great script. Right? So the moment you have a great script that goes out, you don't, it's gonna sp- it's gonna catch fire, mm-hmm. right? And it's gonna spread you know on its own just because of you know w- once somebody says there's a great script out there, everybody starts looking for it, and, and I think that's really sort of the, the secret to just breaking in. But you have to do again your homework. You have to show them, like you were saying earlier, right? That uh, as a writer, you have to show these people, the readers, the producers, mm-hmm. uh, that you know how to write the story. Mm-hmm. You know what it takes to be able to be to be a good storyteller. Yeah, I know a lot of writers who put in a script and they said this is not going to work for us but I want to hire you for another job because you can write yeah uh, and that happens all the time and I know a lot of screenwriters who make a living never being produced <laughs> yeah 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 <clears throat> they just keep optioning or they're working or they're script doctoring and they've never had a single credit to their name yeah but they've made millions doing this behind mm-hmm. the scenes there's many guys who do this in Hollywood yeah uh, many and, and there even a lot of those who not just option out, you know, their, their scripts, even though the, the script doesn't get made, mm-hmm. uh, but they get hired to rewrite again, mm-hmm. you know, other scripts again without being credited for it, and mm-hmm. you know, and that that's that's a great job to have. <laughs> to a certain, I, I guess, after you've made your first two or three million doing that, yeah. at a certain point, you just want to go. You know, I wouldn't mind getting something made. Yeah, you yeah. know, but I wish I had these problems. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, Jose, yeah. but I wish I had that. Like, you know, I've already made my three million this yeah. year, so I really would. You know, <laughs> then I can just play around. Let me know. just play around. You know, let's just and follow the passion project and finally finally make that passion project I've been watching about that one-legged hooker in in in, uh, in New York, the Puerto Rican hooker who really wants to dance, <laughs> but she only has one leg. It's a Sundance winner, I can tell you. As long as she has a heart of gold. She, she has a heart of gold. <laughs> I know. I tell you, every time I hear, I always tell people that that story, they're like, okay, you want to get into Sundance? Make a movie about a handicapped, one-legged Puerto Rican hooker with a heart of gold who really wants to dance but is beaten by her 
father, her drunken father, you know, who also happens to be a transgender. I'm just saying that alone would win Sundance every year, guaranteed. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and but you have to follow the 15 beats. If not, it doesn't work. <laughs> exactly, if not, it doesn't work at all. <laughs> so, um, a lot of also with screenwriters, uh, a lot of emphasis is put on the logline. And I know you guys talk a lot about loglines. Can you give a little bit of advice on how to construct a really great logline and explain what a logline is to people who don't know? Well, I think there's it, it, a logline can be, I'll be honest with you, a logline for me is always the trickiest thing to, to write. It's rough. Uh, and I, you know, um, and I always tell this to writers. Um, I, you know, Blake talks about it in the book, in the Save the Cat, that his process was, you know, write the logline. One of the first things he did was write the logline, right, mm-hmm. before beating it out. And, and that's great because it gives you a good idea of what your story is. Mm-hmm. Um, but that particular logline that you write, the first logline you write, is most probably also not going to be the same logline, the same story, you know, that eventually what the script will be. Right. Um, because it, it, as, as you start writing and writing, things will start changing. You start discovering more about, you know, your characters and stories. It will, it will change. So there is a logline that I think it, it, it's great um, – to have early on to keep you sort of on track as to what your story, what you think your story is mm. or what you envision it to be. And, and, but there is also that logline at the very end that really captures the real story. And you have to know the difference um, as, oh. as, you know, as writers. Um, but for me, just of what, what regardless of which particular logline you're writing on, the early on or the one that you really want to stand out already, um, the things that I look for are always going to be, which, you know, and I, it, this is basic screenwriting one-on-one, but I call them the big three, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it has to be able to con- clearly convey whose story it belongs to, which is the hero, number mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. You know, what the hero wants, meaning the goal, mm-hmm. and, and what's stopping the hero from getting the want, you know, what, what's the problem? Mm-hmm. So the hero, the goal, and the problem for me are the big three. And I think that has to be very, very clear mm-hmm. in, in, in a logline. To make it really compelling, and this isn't, you know, and if this is like a, a one or two out of three, you have to make sure it's a three out of three thing. If not, you have no story, and if that's not there in the logline, then your logline won't have a story. Uh, so it's it's very important to be able to, to to make sure that all that three elements have it in 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 your logline that you have it in your logline. Another thing that I that I like, which Blake really pointed out in the book, is having a sense of irony mm-hmm. in 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 the logline. And you know, and and that what that really means is that um, I think what you want to show is that why is this hero, right, the person to go on this journey? Mm-hmm. Right. So you want to be able to build up even in your logline, right? That why this particular hero is going to be the hero? Why is he going? To, why is this journey going to be the hardest thing that this hero is going to be? So it's it's really building that up to, because what you're really telling us is that. Of all the people in the world, right? This is not the right person to do it. Right. right? This is not the right person to go on this journey. But that's what makes it compelling. Die hard. Right? Die hard. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But if if you if you end up always having you know, Mister Universe go up against <laughs> you know the big evil you know whoever that is, right? Then you know if, that's nothing. that's Commando. That's Commando. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, or, or old Steven Seagal movies. Oh, right? good it, lord! You know, right away he's going to win at the end of the day. Right. Uh, there's, there's no real, there's never a chance like, you know, maybe Steven might not win. No, he's going to yeah. win. Right, he's gonna yeah. win. Right? And we know that. And, but that's, that. and that works for who he is, right? And the characters that he, that he, that he plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, 
for the rest of you who are not writing, you know, action type movies or commando type movies, right? You have to find a way to tell us to make sure that, you know, just by reading the logline, a one sentence, you know, line that we understand, we make, we understand what the story is, but more importantly is that we, it, it's a very compelling story. And again, by doing that is again, giving us a sense of irony in the sense that uh, it, it's, you know, you're, you're introducing us to a character who is not supposed to be going on this journey. Right. It, so it, end, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no. I, the way you, you brought up a really good point I wanted to kind of uh, focus on real quick. That the irony of, of a character, that he's not supposed to, he, she's not supposed to be the one on the journey. Uh, Ripley from Aliens comes to mind. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, Sarah Connor Sarah, Sarah Connor from Terminator. Um, Die Hard, John McClane. Um, yeah. The Lethal Weapon Boys. Like, there's no reason for them to... You know, work yeah, and they I mean, do. We talked about Star Wars, right? And Star Wars, uh, the young farm boy who's going up against exactly. the Empire. Exactly. That's that's what King's speech. Talk about uh, yes, speech, but the would-be king who just stutters, right? Right. Exactly. Like he has no re- like, and that and it's something as simple as that. Like it's not a big, huge action thing. It's about a guy who stutters who has to not stutter, yeah. and he has to inspire a nation. Exactly. Like that's that's a simple concept it's not it's not brain surgery but then i start when you brought that up i start going i just went back through my mental rolodex of movies and i'm like you know a lot of those 80s action movies like commando like every john claude van damme movie like every steven seagal movie and bad action movies there isn't that mm-hmm. a bad action movie and don't get me i love all those movies because you know, I was young when I saw them, and I love them. Uh, and there's character and charismatic things about Arnold and about you know Sylvester Stallone and all those things in those certain kind of movies. But the movies that really stand the test of time, like you, could, I just watched Die Hard again because it's my Christmas movie. I always watch because I don't care what anyone says; it's the best Christmas movie of all time. I don't, I don't care what anyone says. Hans, yes, Hans. No, if if you don't see Hans Gruber falling out of a, a, a falling out of a, a window at the end of the day, it's not really Christmas for me. So that's just me ho 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 so um but i just literally saw it like a a few weeks ago and i was like i can't believe how wonderful and how brilliantly it's done and it literally that movie alone spawned hundreds of ripoffs like die hard in a boat die hard in a train die hard in a plane that all this kind of stuff it was such a brilliant and pinnacle movie but it's that what you were talking about it's the ironic the irony of that character who has no business doing that predator is another one like even though arnold and this entire team are big muscle bound yeah but they're up against something that's they have no business they can't beat and that's what makes a good really really good compelling story and i think that's where a lot of writers uh especially of bad action movies (laughs) we really could learn something from please yeah. Please. And I think that's, you know, like you said, Die Hard is a great example because, you know, in the 80s, you know, we were used to seeing all the Schwarzenegger movies. Right. You know, the Rambo, Stallone movies. Mm-hmm. They're all like this muscle bodily, you know. And suddenly we, we get introduced to John McClane. You know, right. And it's not really that tone of, uh, you know. He's not no, he's a normal he's dude. Not, he's, he's a, a normal a, dude. He's a normal he's, dude. He's down on his locket. He's about to get a divorce. Right, he's yes. trying to be with his wife to stay together. He's a New Yorker in L.A., which trust yeah. me, I understand. Yeah, so what's <laughs> cracking, you know? So, so, so it's uh, so he became he, he's this totally different guy who gets thrown into, you know, in a, a bigger than life scenario. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then the the brilliance of you know the the barefoot and the bleeding and the I, it's like it's just so brilliantly crafted. Uh, I don't know. I forgot the name of the screenwriter of that one, uh, but it's so brilliantly crafted, so brilliantly directed, and it it holds even though it's eighties and you could you know. It's so fun to watch because of, you know, all the 80s stuff in it. Yeah. But it's so brilliant. RoboCop, another one of those. Like, <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Like, there's no reason for that hero to be able to do what he does um, and go through what he's going through. So I, that's a great – I've never heard you uh, anyone say that. But the irony of the character or the hero is something that should be very important in your writing process. Yeah, I think so. Because, again, if, it's, if there's not that, that, you know, that sense of irony, meaning that your hero is not – the right person or shouldn't be the person to be going against this problem or having this goal, right? As a writer, you'll find out easily that you'll end right, you stop writing by page 30 because you're unable to generate more conflict for your hero. Right. right? You, you lose right away that sense of tension because your hero, you haven't, as we like to say in Save the Cat, you haven't taken your hero as far back as possible. Right. right? So, so if, if they're already a great superhero in the first act, Right then, again, whatever you throw out in front of them, the second act is something that they can easily overcome. And once that happens, you know your story ends at page thirty. That's, I think, one of the main problems with uh, most Superman movies, or even telling a Superman story. It's so difficult to create conflict for a god. Exactly, (laughs) and that's it's except for the very first one that Richard Donner did. And he did it so magically. It's like every, and we've all been, everyone's been trying to get back to that. Uh, but it's tough to create conflict. Like that Batman's, that's why Batman works better than Superman because Batman's exactly. a dude who, yeah, he's a billionaire and he has stuff, but he can get hurt. He can get, you know, blood. He can get his back broken. He can do all this stuff. And his backstory is so much more complex. Uh, uh, yeah. He was orphaned. His parents were killed. Mm-hmm. He saw them get killed. You know, yeah, it's so much, so much meteor. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and it's not just a physical story, but really more of the emotional story mm-hmm. is what's what's really pulls us in. So I'm really curious to see how this Batman versus Superman yeah. fiasco I think it's gonna be a fiasco. That's just me. But <laughs> I, 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 I this is my personal opinion. I looked at the trailer the other day. I'm now we're going off topic here, but I saw the trailer the other day and I was just like Wow, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if this is gonna work. I yeah. hope it does. I'm a fan, but uh, you know. But then I saw Captain. But, Am- I saw that Captain America Civil War. I'm like, this yeah. is brilliant. You've got two. Like, look at the conflict in that. It's like, yeah. it's the ultimate conflict of friends that we've grown up with. If or people have seen through these movies, and now they're fighting for ideologies. It's just like. Brilliant, brilliant. I'm sorry, I've I've gone off on a tangent on superhero <laughs> movies. I apologize. <laughs> so, um, so what are some of the um, biggest mistakes you see with screenwriter screenplays when you read them from like first time writers or just screenplays in general? I think especially like especially you know, for us in with Save the Cat, we get a lot of for the first time mm-hmm. screenwriters. Even, even though when they say first time, you know, it, it's those have written several but haven't really sold anything yet. Mm-hmm. And and one thing I've noticed of late is that. A lot of screenwriters tend to write off, write a character that's based off another character that they saw in a movie. <laughs> right? Really? So you see, are you still seeing a lot of that? Yeah, it, it, it is. Uh, and and you know, it's like you're talking about Die Hard, right? Right. Oh, God. Die Hard, I mean, came out, die hard in a plane, Die Hard in a train, Die Hard in a ship. Sudden, sudden Impact. Don't forget that one. John Claude yeah. Van Damme, Die Hard in an so ice he, rink. <laughs> 
so there's a lot of I think a lot of people kind of do that still you know I want to make the next Taken I want to make the oh, next God. there's a there was a, after Taken came out there I must have been a thousand Taken scripts make, yeah. made yeah 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 right or, or after Bridesmaids came out I want to make the next Bridesmaids or, or, or The Hangover right after Hangover yeah. came out I want to make the next Hangover so they're writing characters they're writing stories based off other characters that we've seen already or that they simply know mm-hmm. from watching Right. right from 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 the film, it's not characters that they really know in real life, right? And I think that that's one mis- one big mistake uh, screenwriters new, especially the newer ones, uh, do nowadays is that you know they they start writing off you know uh, characters that oh this is what John McClane would do, but again <laughs> you're not writing John McClane anymore, and you have to find you know in your own writing again we mentioned this earlier. Um, Coming up with your own voice, what, you know what makes you unique as a writer. You have to be able to find, you know, that the, what makes your characters unique as well. And and that's really by you know, write, you writing characters based off people you know in real life, mm-hmm. right? You know that, that crazy aunt that you have, you know, or or you know, absolutely, right? <laughs> the, the old buddy you had from high school who's now just. Whether he's truly successful, mm-hmm. but in a bad marriage. But there are a lot of things that you can pull out of real people who surround us daily, mm-hmm. right? And I think you know that makes it more interesting because now we start seeing people who we know, you know, can be a little bit more complex, who may not necessarily go left when we think everybody's going left. You know, what what makes them different? Right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that. Um, Newer writers need to learn more how to build better characters. I think also uh, what, what you're saying is advice for every aspect of filmmaking in the sense of be yourself and stop trying to be someone else, whether that be a writer, whether that be a director. Like, I'm going to be the next Quentin Tarantino. I'm like, no, you're yeah. not. You can't be because there's only one Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. There's only one Scorsese. There's only one Shane Black. Yeah. You know, there's don't, I mean, I mean, how many people try to rip off Shane Black? After Lethal Weapon and after, I mean, everyone tried to write like Shane. Yeah. When he was making in the olden days, when everyone was making two million dollars a a spec script, you know, uh, sales that don't happen nowadays. But if you just tr- be true to your vote, because if you notice, all of those guys, all of those guys are original. <laughs> they're exactly. all they're all being themselves. Yeah. Uh, and they were, and their original voice came out 10, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and it worked. For them, so now it's time for the newer writers who want to break into to find what is your original voice for today's time. Right, because things that worked twenty years ago will not work today. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's a huge, and that's when screenwriting and in filmmaking is a general statement. A lot of people keep going at it from that point of view of like, I'm going to do what Shane. Bl-. I'm like, no, don't, no, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a different place, different world today. So another, I think, another, if I may, you know, yes, please, have time, but another, I think common mistake that uh, writers have, newer writers have uh, nowadays, is just simply overwriting. Mm-hmm. Especially when it comes to the description and the action part of uh, any, we're not, it may not necessarily be an action movie. But, you know, when they start describing the action that going, that's going on, mm-hmm. you know, they describe it to a, you know, to the most minute detail. <laughs> right? or, or they write it like a novelist, like a novelist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or even write, even trying to describe a character. You know, they they over describe it, and I think what this does is, especially for me as when I'm reading it, it takes away a sense of creativity on my end, because now you're making me think very specifically of an action of a person, mm-hmm. and and that in a way kind of takes away from the read, because now my mind is again, 
and, and this is something readers, I mean, I'm sorry, writers have to realize, is that your first audience is not the person who buys the movie ticket. Mm-hmm. Right? Your first audience is the reader, right? It, it, and you have to know that, you know, they don't have the benefit of music. They don't have the benefit of actual faces of actors mm-hmm. that they can follow. So reading a page is a little bit harder. They have to work a little bit harder in order to follow the story. So don't overdo it right? by, by, provide, by putting in too much detail, by making it too, you know, too specific, that, you know, that your own, that the reader themselves start losing that, that, that ability to build the world on their own and get more into it. I think if, if as readers, if we're given that opportunity to build the world a little bit on our own as mm-hmm. we're following reading the story, mm-hmm. then it becomes more interesting. It becomes more exciting. You know, I was the other day. I was reading a, a script that was sent to me by a, a, a professional writer, like a real, you know, with credits, with everything for a project. And when I read it, I I had been reading so many bad scripts that when I read this one, I was like, "Oh, this is what a writer's like." <laughs> it was so brilliant. Yeah. The structure was br- was spot on. Every word was like, and I was analyzing it as I was reading it because I was just so taken by like, oh, okay. So he condensed everything right. He didn't overwrite everything. He left it open for your interpretation, but yet gave you just enough. If there's that fine balance when you're writing like that. And it was just so wonderful to watch, to read. It was a joy to read as opposed to reading, you know, 98% of scripts written. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is which is rough. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, no, I I I have had those moments, right? Right. <laughs> you get the script from from a professional, right? Right. Uh, uh, and it's like before you know it, you're in page 90. Right, exactly. Right? And you're a slow reader. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly, right? And, and so I know oh, this is a good one. <laughs> this is a good. And I think that's also a, a advice for readers, like people who are trying to get readers to get coverage and stuff like that. They will notice because yeah. they read so much crap all the time that when something of quality walks through the door, whether they like the, the, the matter, the subject matter or not, they'll recognize talent in the writing. Uh, and, it's, and, it come, and, it, and it blares out. It like that just – it screams at you because yeah, – yeah. You know, it's not like you're in a a, a bunch of William Goldman scripts <laughs> and Shane Black scripts and yeah, Tarantino yeah. scripts are all tossed in. You're like, oh, who's really good? No, it's like a bunch of crap. And then you get that one piece of gold that comes in every once in a while. Um, so so I, I was fascinated when I was doing a little research for this interview. I found out that Save the Cat has some software. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that was kind yeah. of exciting. Yeah, we actually do have a software. And, and, and the nice thing about the software, it really follows – the save the cat method. Uh, oddly enough, as, as it as it as it <laughs> as, as it's laid out, uh, I guess what I should have said as, as it's laid out in the book in, in the first book, the way Blake kind of goes through it step by step, mm-hmm. right? So so even in the software, it it, it it kind of forces you, if I may use that word, it kind of forces you first to come up with you know what's the genre that you want to pick for this story, you know, then it tells you to do the logline, mm-hmm. right? And then, but you're not able to jump right away into the beat sheet mm-hmm. or the board, you know, unless you go through it step by step first. And, and, but the nice thing about it is that if you do follow the steps coming up with logline, then only with the logline, you'll be able to go and do the beat sheet. Once you have your beat sheet, that's only when you're able to go and do the board. You know? uh, so it, but it has all the elements of what makes the Save the Cat uh, method. Uh, and what they said, it, it kind of forces you to go through it step by step. I think that's the nice thing about it because it really helps you think and not just 
I know there's us writers were always eager to jump into page one and fade in, right? Right. Uh, but it, it, but that can also always get us into trouble right away. There is, you know, you take the time to first think about the idea, first think about the premise and mm-hmm. the story, start mm-hmm. beating it out, start building that outline, start building the structure before you actually go to page one. And that's that that, that that's that, that's what uh, I think that's the um, the software is good at. Um, it helps you sort of focus little by little, step by step, so that when by the time you do get to page one, fade in, mm-hmm. you know, you've done the hard work already. Right. Um, but like I said, you know, it, it follows all the rules of Save the Cat. You know, it takes you to the beat sheet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes you to the board, um, the forty card board, and you can see it all laid out in front of you in your screen. Now, can it's you like, can you explain? I was going to ask you, can you explain what the board is? Because a lot of people might not know what the board is. I love using the board when I when I write. It's so helpful. So, can you explain? It? Because there's the software version, then you're obviously taking it from a real life version, like actual board and stuff. So, can you explain what that is? Yeah, and it's the same thing. You know, when when First, my, my introduction to the board also came from Blake and how we, how we explained it. Is that, you know, he walked into a producer's room and oddly enough, same thing happened to me a few years after. He told me about it. Was that, you know, and he sees, you know, it's um, a cork board in front of him where there are little index cards laid out. Uh, and what it is, is, you know, in, in, let's say the cat how we have it, is that you have a big, whether it's a cork board or a white board or, you know, whatever it is you're writing, you break that board into four rows, each row representing an act. Well, but you're going to say, okay, but it's four rows, so why four acts? Well, it's act one, act two A, you know, act two B, mm-hmm. and act three. Mm-hmm. And in each row, you have, we have ten cards. Mm-hmm. And each card really is a scene or a sequence. Now, not, um, meaning that, again, it's always, you can start, what you're doing really here now with the board is you're really, you are writing. Right, and you're working on scenes already. You're doing scene structure work already here, and it allows you to sort of to follow your hero in terms of its plot, in terms of its emotional story throughout. You know, you're, you're able to lay out scenes and see if it's working in Act One or in Act Two. You know, if it's not, you can move them around. But the nice thing about it is that again, you're able just in a very visual, immediate sense. Just by looking at the board, you're able to look at it right away and see how the story is playing out. You can see where the characters are moving forward. You know, you can even, I think one thing I always emphasize with writers so when, when they do the board is that make sure you're also able to follow the emotional story mm-hmm. you know, in, in the board. Uh, you know, one thing we like talking about in Save the Cat is having the B story. You know, and what the B story right. is, is for those who are familiar with it, mm-hmm. uh, what it represents is really just the theme of the story. Mm-hmm. Right. So what what I tell him is, you know, if is that a, is that the subplot or is that a B, is that is that a subplot or is that it's or, not necessarily a subplot. It's the okay. emotional story. Got it. That that you that you that your story that your hero must go through. So then, so what's the emotional story of Titanic? Just so people have a reference. Well, let's say for Rose, right? Mm-hmm. The physical story is I'm going to get married to what's his name, Billy Zane. Right, Billy Zane. Right. 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 The emotional story for her is that she has to be able to tell her mom. I'm not going to do what you're telling me anymore. And she wants I to be have free. I to be my own person. Right. right? And that's what Jack, uh, what's his name, Leonardo DiCaprio, teaches her. Because, because she's, because she's the, she is the character. She is the main character of that yeah, story. Yes, she is. I agree with you. She is the main character. And right. that's what, like I said, Leo does for her. He's the one who forces her to learn the lesson, to learn the theme of the story in order, you know, 
to be her own person. So in other words, it's not a subplot, but like exactly like the outside, the, the obvious thing is like, I'm going to marry this guy and I'm going on this boat. Yeah. But the emotion about what the intention of her character is this, yeah. what she's going after. This is the, the inner struggle or the inner exactly. journey, the inner it's, journey. It's, it's the inner journey. It's the internal story. Got the same it. Same thing with, with Luke Skywalker. The external was take down the Death Star. Mm-hmm. Right? The internalist, he needs to learn to be a Jedi, to believe in to himself. Trust, to, to trust. To believe in. So that's what, you know, so going back now to the board, when I tell writers, you know, you can mark these cards, you know, whether you use color or whatever it is to, use to mark them, you know, let's say blue is going to be external story. Red is going to be internal story. You know, it's just a simple dot that you can put on each card. And then, you can see where you're playing out the emotional story as well. So I think the board is, like I said, you know, uh, hopefully I'm explaining it well enough. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. that you're able to see right away just by standing in front of it, you know, what you have, where the story is going, where your hero is going, you know, how you're playing out the physical and the emotional story throughout. But it's also, you know, it, it, it saves you if you do it now, meaning, you know, if you do it with the board right away before you start writing pages. Mm-hmm. You know, if you see like a certain sequence is not working, like in the middle of second act, then mm-hmm. you can either take it out, put it away for another day, or maybe you say, actually, you know, this sequence might work better in act one, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, but you can do it right away, you know, as opposed to doing it later or after six months or nine months of having written a first draft. Right? And then suddenly say, wait a minute, page 50 to 55 wasn't working. Mm-hmm. But, you know, eh, I should have known that nine months ago, right? right. And, and saved myself the time. Right, right. Uh, so, so that's the beauty of, of what the board is. Now, this in, in the software, do you have that option for the dots? Yes, you do. Oh, Actually, great. In software, you do. There's a, there's a little, you know, I can't get to all of it. We won't have time. But there are little places where you can assign color to it. Mm, perfect. And, and, Sounds again, wonderful. And, and it's just a simple thing, but even assigning color to characters, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's a wonderful little trick. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if let's say green is going to be my villain, right? mm-hmm. but if you're looking at your board and your entire second row has no green in it, then you know you're in trouble <laughs> because you don't have a villain in it, and the villain right. is the source of conflict. That would be that would be the first Twilight movie. Yeah, <laughs> one of the worst films I've ever seen. I don't care what anyone says. It was horrendous. The villain shows up 20 minutes. I don't care. Spoiling it. 20 minutes at the end. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? The first hour and 20 minutes is just of them pining for each other. It was horrendous. Horrendous. There you go. See, if they had the board. They had a Well, look, look, they made a couple bucks on that. So what do we know? But, uh, But it's not definitely not being studied. My screenwriters around the world <laughs> for their for their structure, story, narrative, character, or directing. But <laughs> I'm sorry again. I, I apologize. I, I just could. Yeah, when you said that, I'm like, yes, no villain. I, that's the first movie that came to mind. I'm like, because look, what happens in Star Wars? First, like three four minutes of the movie. Yeah, the right best away. the best opening of a villain, arguably ever. And yeah. everybody, and that was a wonderful thing about that film is that I've re- I've listened to I've probably seen every interview with George Lucas ever about that movie, uh, about Star Wars, and he said that no matter where you were in the world, even if you had no idea who Darth Vader was, you knew, and you didn't speak English, yeah, you knew that was the bad guy, yeah, that was that's the brilliance and the universal appeal of of those movies it's like you knew and they did that thing with Kylo Ren as well that they, yeah. the, the way they designed 
his mask and everything was all very strategic to portray a villain instantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, great, another great example, if I may, is mm-hmm. you know, which which again was one of my favorites was Whiplash, which I mentioned earlier. Oh, so right? brilliant! The way they introduced the J.K. Oh, Simmons oh. in the first two minutes. Oh, brilliant. for me, it was just as good as introducing Darth Vader. I mean, I'll tell you what: when I watched that movie, it was it was hard to watch. That's a movie that's hard to watch mm-hmm. a little bit because he is so brilliant yeah. at being just. Just, just a horrible human being. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's so brilliant at it that it just, I, I felt like, I'm like, just leave, man. Just leave. It's not worth it, man. Just yeah. go. Don't yeah. play the yeah. damn yeah. drums anymore. Yeah. Just go. But yet we watch. But we, no, no. He doesn't want to walk away, right? But you yeah. know what's brilliant is, and he deserved the Oscar without question oh. because he carries that movie. He does. The whole movie is him. I said, I mean, no, he's not the main character, but. He is so overpowering as the actor, and the the character is so overpowering that without him, there's so much. He's he's the empire. He is. He is, and this poor kid is Luke, and it's like, but that's if Darth Vader was yelling at Luke the entire movie and throwing <laughs> symbols at his head. He's <laughs> yeah. throwing a chair with the force. Over yeah, the it's chair. just throwing the force. Like, come on, Luke. You know, Are three you beats. Crying now to Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> Three beats with the lightsaber. Come on. So uh, now, and you also have an app, right? The Save the Cat app. Is that different than the software? No, it's 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 the same. Mm-hmm. But like it, like you said, it's an app. It's 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 for your laptop, it, iPad. It, or... it, it's for your iPhone uh-huh. or your iPad. I guess your Android. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I'm, I have to be clear. I'm, I'm not sure about that actually, but I know you can work it on your iPhone. Uh-huh. Um, but it helps you go to the same thing. It's sort of like a miniature version of the. Of what you can get on your laptop or your computer. Got it. But it, it's the same thing. It helps you go through, again, your log line and then the beats and then you can even do the cards there. But each card will be like one because it is just an iPhone. Right, know, exactly. One card. <laughs> yeah, right? It's like one card. It doesn't but give the you the same. About it is that you can play around it. You can, you can I guess, what's the word? Um, play between the app and the software. I think you can link it if I, if I have that right. Okay. So what you have in, the, in your app, you can... It goes on the cloud and you know right. pull it out in your in your in your computer. And well. if you're at Starbucks writing your your script and you have an idea real quick and you don't have your laptop, yeah, you pop pop it into your iPad or exactly. I, or iPhone. Because I was I was talking to another screenwriter the other day. Is like uh, people here in LA, people outside of LA don't understand that if you walk into a Starbucks, there's at least two people writing a screenplay. Any yeah. Starbucks in Los Angeles yeah. at any time of the day yeah. or not. Yeah, exactly, exactly. N- never fails. <laughs> Never, never fails. So, um, I'm, I'm now comes to the part of the show that is the toughest questions I ask all my uh, all my guests. So, are you are you ready, sir? All right, I hope so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether that be in the film business or in life in general? Ah, uh, you know what? This for me, it's it's the discipline of writing. Mm-hmm. That was for me personally. <laughs> I think it's something also that I, you know a lot of, sort of writers struggle with. Mm-hmm. It is especially those who want to make writing their career or yeah. their job. It's tough, right? man. That white page, that white page is a mountain. Yeah, and but it is really just simply finding the time day in and day out <sighs> yeah. to say I'm gonna write whether it's just for ten minutes, thirty minutes, yep. one hour, yep. or a page a day. Uh, but, you know, because it's so easy to get caught up with, you know, especially like I said, for those the newer ones, mm-hmm. right? Uh, especially those who have a day job, mm-hmm. right? Um, it, 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 
you can easily get caught up with other things. And before you know it, it's a week has passed. You haven't written a single page. Before you mm-hmm. know it, it's two months already. Mm-hmm. Right? You haven't written 10 pages. So it is, it's not necessarily a lesson, right? But it is being able just being to, to, to discipline yourself and say that I will be writing today. And again, for me, it's you have to put a goal, a daily goal that is, that is attainable mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For, for, for you. So, you know, I know other writers who do like a page a day. I know who, someone who does six pages a day, which is tough. I tried doing six pages a day. Ooh, uh, it, it, it's tough. It, it sounds a lot easier than six. No, but, no. But, it is, but once you're doing it, like, oh, it, it's tough. Yeah. Right? But you have to find a system that works for you that makes it, like I said, attainable each and every day. So whether you go by page count or by minute count, you, know, you have to do it. And if it means having to wake up a little earlier or yep. set or tell your kids at the end of the day, you know, sorry, daddy's playing right now on his own. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I mean, you, you have to do it. Uh, and I think, if anything, it's just that you have to keep writing. If, if, if you want to really be a good writer, and I tell this to all writers, really, you just have to write. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's not just writing, but also reading scripts, not necessarily just watching movies. Yes, watching movies is nice, you know, but read scripts as well. You know, and you have to find a way to put that into your schedule as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really the best lesson for for one uh, to become a, a, a not just a good writer, but to be really a working writer. You know, the the if I, if I may quote Woody Allen, ninety percent of success is just showing up. Very true. It's and and it's true that consistency of showing up every day and doing the work, even if it's five minutes, even if it's ten minutes, but it's that everyday thing. And that's what people get hard. Like if you if you can get into that routine of just doing it every day, little by little. And trust me, I know. Even even Academy Award winning writers <clears throat> have problems. Yeah, writing like they're just like, oh god, I gotta go and write. Yeah. You know, it's like it's it's writing is one of the most laborious processes yeah. on the planet, and it's yeah. one of the most underappreciated parts <laughs> of the industry, without question. Because without a great script, there is no movies, and it's it, it is rough. So that's a great. Uh, Great piece of advice. Now, what are your top three favorite films of all time? Oh, man. That's, I think this is even the tougher question. Yes, I, yes, I yes. Just pick three. Uh, all right. Uh, one would be, I think, the safe answer. But uh-huh. I really loved it. And I, it's one of those movies I keep watching over and over again. Uh-huh. Uh, it's Shawshank Redemption. Of course. Of course. Right? It's one of my top uh, three as well. Twi- <laughs> Twilight, obviously, too. But no, I'm joking. No, I'm joking. No, Shawshank. A close second. A close second was Twilight. No, um, no, Shawshank is amazing. It's amazing. It's it's yeah. it's as it's honestly to me is as perfect of a movie as you can get it, yeah. for me because it's my generation's Godfather. True. Yeah. Very, very, very true. Yeah. I think same same with me. You know, it, it it it's funny. The reason why I love it so much is because it really it kind of breaks so many rules, but it all works. Right, uh, it's all like whose story is it? Red is it Andy's? Right, uh, but you're going to go there at the end of the movie. You're just like, who cares? So right? who, I was going to say like whose story? And like now you, when you ask me that, I'm like, whose story is it? Is it Andy's? Yeah. Is it Red's? Yeah, right. But I think it's, I think it's Red's. Maybe because I, I he's the narrator. It's Red's because he's I the. Na- look at it in terms of, and again, for me, it's always like who had the biggest change, right? And it's and it's Red. Yeah, yeah. Check. Red is story. Although you would think a lot of the action or out of the action being instigated was being instigated by by Andy, 
but I, Andy, but Andy didn't make that large of a change. Not nearly, not, as, not as big as yeah. he was just doing what he does. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. But Red, from the moment you see, and and you actually see them in different tent poles of the movie when that whole interview with the with the board, the parole board, yeah. how he changes, and you can literally, I mean, the, he really lays it out for you. Frank Darabont does, uh, and it's absolutely brilliant. Um, and another one of his movies, Green Mile, I. Yes. Love, love, love the Green Mile. Mm-hmm. So go ahead, sorry. But Shawshank, again, I think that's number one for me. Yeah. Um, another one, I guess, again, there's no really order. Of course. Um, one of the most perfect scripts I've read in the movie as well came out really, really nicely was uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, it's such a brilliant movie. It's such a brilliant movie. Right? Uh, I, I tell you, reading, and I tell this to all writers, when I read that script, I said it was as perfect as I could get reading a script. Yeah, right. it, it's 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 tight. It's yeah, a tight it's script. It's tight, and you know you're following all these characters. Again, one of those that you know Michael Arndt did a great job is building all these characters. We get to know all the characters right away in the first ten minutes. We're following all their stories, and, and you know it, it, it's 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 great. And it's one of those again. It my 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 way of gauging like if it's a favorite of mine. If you know when you're just surfing the TV, oh yeah, and you nothing. Then if you happen to see it, then you stop. Yeah, absolutely. Even though absolutely. you've seen it fifty times already before, right. It's one of those. A little Miss Sunshine. And then the other one, a smaller movie that I really, really, really loved as well uh, was Billy Elliot. Oh, yeah. I love Billy Elliot. I remember Billy Elliot. That was a really sweet film. Yeah. And I think that this, I think maybe just happened to be the time of me when, when I had my first child, when it first came out. So the whole father-son thing was, you know. <laughs> you secretly want to dance. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, again, th- I, I love, you know, how they played out, you know, how a kid's journey of him simply wanting to dance played against the backdrop of what's happening in his dad's world, mm-hmm. you know, with the coal miners striking mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. having a bigger theme out there. But yet their theme really was just the same. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it, it, it just you know and makes you laugh. It makes you cry. It, it's what the movie should be. That's yeah. a great. So that's that, a great think, list. Yeah, so it's a, that's kind of my top three. I think for uh, now. For now, yeah, it's that's 2016. <laughs> if, if you ask me this tomorrow, it may change. Of course, of course. <laughs> now, what's the most underrated film you've ever seen? Ah, this is a tough one. I think a lot. Of there, I always look for. Um, you know, kind of movies year every year. There's like one small movie that comes out that for me is like, how come I didn't even know that came out in the movie house? I've, you know, I watched it in DVD, but I loved it completely, right? And they're sort of like they have that indie feel, but although they're recognizable actors in it, sure, sure, right? I think like in 2013, there's like way way back. Mm-hmm. Oh is, yeah, I like the way I, way back, uh, which is a great movie. That Steve Carell, Tony Collette, you know, mm-hmm. great cast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there was um yes in 2014 there's a small one with um the skeleton the skeleton twins this with Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig. I haven't seen that one. It it, it, it again it's a small movie right? It, it's very indie-ish, uh-huh. but I just love how they built the characters and the relationship that they have. Uh, so you know, so I, it goes for me every year. I have kind of the the one that I love that I felt like was really underrated. So 2015, what's 2015? Uh, well, it's 2015 for me. I was going to say, uh, but it's also actually looked at top and it's actually two, four, it was 2014. Again, uh, this is where I leave you. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, so, but, you know, I think one big one that I thought was underrated, which was, I didn't even hear about it until somebody told me, was Moon. Ever see Moon? Oh, yeah. That's the one with um, Sam, Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, in terms of like thriller movies, mm-hmm. this was one of those that was like, wow, this really grabbed me. It was like, 
what the hell is going on here? Right. And really just, the nice thing about it, you're really just really following one character yeah. to some Rockwell, Rockwell character, mm-hmm. right? But then it's like, you're caught in it. Yeah, you're in. You're in the web. You yeah, can't get in. out. And, and, you know, like I said, I found out about it simply because somebody told me about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, okay, I had to watch it. And so now I'm, I tell everybody, have you seen Moon? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> that's, so a brilliant, that's, that's the brilliant thing about uh, when you find a little gem like that. You're like, yeah. why hasn't someone else seen this? What's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so where can people find more about you and more about Save the Cat? Well, Save the Cat is a website. Mm-hmm. Savethecat.com. Mm-hmm or blakesnyder.com, but it's the same. I think mm-hmm. the easy one to remember, savethecat.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in there, uh, the website talks about, you know, things that we do, workshops that we have, uh, consultations we do. But it also, uh, like, we also bring out beat sheets of movies that have come out, mm-hmm. uh, which is always a great resource for, for writers. Yeah, you have some new ones now, too, of some of the most recent movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we have people who contribute um, into it. So so that's kind of the best way to keep up with um with save the cat, mm-hmm. um and again like I said it's it's an ongoing thing um it's a way of keeping uh you know Blake's method and in uh, alive mm-hmm. and, and updated all the time. Fantastic. Well, Jose, man, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. I hope you had fun. All right, thank you very much for having us, Alex. I appreciate it. Seriously, guys, if you've not read this book, you've got to go out and get it. Save the Cat. It is an awesome, awesome book. It's just Blake wrote it so wonderfully, and it really opens up your eyes to a lot of different uh, avenues of what it takes to be a screenwriter and how to tell a story, uh, and his method is pretty amazing how it matches up in the um, in the world of movies today. And in the actual uh, blog post or the uh, show notes, at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 071, I put a couple of videos of how Blake's method measures up to certain movies and they actually go through scene by scene of these very famous Hollywood movies and you can see where all of his points line up perfectly. It's quite remarkable to watch, so definitely check that out. Now, guys, again, if you want to be part of the Indie Film Hustle tribe and community, that's what we're really about. We're trying to connect not only you guys to me, but you guys to each other and create a community where we can share knowledge, share information, uh, and share resources to get our movies made. And I've kind of put together a hub for everybody to go to and talk and communicate and, and exchange information and so on. If you go to our Facebook group, our Indie Film Hustle private group on Facebook, and all you got to do is go to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash Facebook. And not only do you get like first cracks at all of our new articles and posts and videos and things like that, but you get to watch and listen to other filmmakers and see what they're doing and see how they could help you and learn from them. And if you have any information about things you've read on the line somewhere that might help the community, please post it there as well. So definitely check that out, IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash Facebook. And as always, please go to filmmakingpodcast.com and leave us an honest review of the show. It really helps the show out a lot and it helps us get the word out on what we're trying to do with Indie Film Hustle. So thank you guys so much for all the amazing uh, emails and messages I get from you guys. I, I really, It really keeps me going. It really helps me on those tough days where I don't want to get up and don't want to do a new podcast, but I love doing this for you guys and I love uh, helping you guys out as much as I can. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the support and well wishes 
and I will continue to do the good work that we're doing here at Indie Film Hustle for you guys. We got some really cool stuff coming up uh, in the next few weeks. Got some announcements coming up in the next few weeks. So stay tuned for all of that. And I wish you guys nothing but the best on your filmmaking journey. And it is a glorious one if you know what you're doing. (laughs) Thank you, guys. I'll see you soon. Keep that hustle flowing. Keep that dream alive. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia 